Colossians chapter 2, we keep making our way, looking at these seven truths for counterpunching. In that great chapter on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul makes mention of a very critical piece within that armor. In Ephesians 6.14, he speaks about having our loins girt about with truth. And we understand and we break that armor down that what he was referring to was the soldier's girdle, which typically was made of iron or steel. And what made it of such significant importance was the fact that this is, this is the girdle. It, it held the soldier's sword, but it also held the entire armor together. And it's very, very important. And so we understand that when we're talking about the soldier's sword in that armor, Ephesians 6.17 tells us exactly what that was and what it represented. It was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is why that was so important. Now, this brings us very early on to a very critical truth, and I do mean critical, and we have to get this. Understand, this girdle, it held everything together in that armor. And it was where the soldier kept his sword. The sword of truth. Okay, the word of God. The sword of the spirit. Alright, understand this. Truth holds everything together. We must know this. It is truth that holds everything together. In spiritual warfare, Satan aims to disarm you of the truth. That's his aim. That's his goal. is to get you away from the truth, to negotiate you away from truth. This is how he works. And when that is successful, understand this. That is when everything falls apart because it is truth that holds everything together. This is why Satan works to disarm you of truth in battle. Because he understands it all falls apart when you step away from truth. So we're learning how to keep it together as we walk through this study. God is arming us with these seven critical truths for counterpunching in battle. This is the only way to stay upright and win in this battle. You have no shot any other way. You don't. This is why at the center of the battle of spiritual warfare, it is a battle over the truth. It is a battle for truth. That's the battle. That is at the heart of spiritual warfare. Listen, when Satan shows up in the garden and tempts Eve, what does he go for immediately? Yea, hath God said. It was an issue of truth. It was a battle over the truth. Will you believe God's word or will you believe Satan's lies? You decide. That's the choice you and I are making every day in spiritual warfare. Who are we going to believe? God or Satan? And this brings us to what I believe to be a pre-K principle. But it needs to be stated nonetheless. When the believer turns the light of the word of God off, life goes dark. Amen. 
You have to get that. I have to get that. When we turn the light of the Word of God off in our lives, life goes dark. It goes dark. And it goes dark quickly. Can I tell you that one of the lowest moments for me since March at MBT has been realizing that some of God's people here have esteemed the counsel of Dr. Fauci to be higher than the counsel of their senior shepherd, Sam Miles. Surely, Fauci can be trusted because in addition to just being smarter than Sam, he, he too watches for your souls. Doesn't he? Uh, he too prays and weeps for you. Doesn't he? Uh, he too, surely, Fauci, uh, is spending hours uh, preparing to feed you God's word. Surely Fauci is doing that, right? Just like Sam. Surely Dr. Fauci knows what's best for me as much as God's shepherd that has been appointed to watch over my soul and who will give an account for me at the judgment seat of Christ. Surely Fauci cares for me like that guy does. So whatever Fauci says, that's what I'm going to follow. I'm going to esteem what he has to say to be of higher significance and accuracy than what Pastor Sam Miles has to say to me from God's word. Amen. That hurts. Now, am I mocking the virus? God forbid. Am I saying that we should be careful? God, that, that we should be careless? God forbid. I think we should wear a mask. I think we should do all those things. However, in all of our learning over the years, have we not learned by now that there are going to be times in your life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ where you are walking by faith and it does not make sense to your flesh or to the world? Amen. Amen. Have you not learned that? Have you not learned, I mean, study the life of Paul. <laughs> I mean, there were decisions that he made where you're saying, wait a minute. He knew what he was getting into when he made that decision. Can you imagine what had to be going through his mind when he's sending Timothy to Thessalonica to check on them? When he was run out of there for his life? And he's sending his beloved disciple right back into the furnace of that affliction. <laughs> Can you imagine Timothy's parents? When now they're going to send their son to go follow this Paul to go minister with him? Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy who was stoned to the point where they thought he died? And I'm going to send my son. To, uh, that's walking with the Lord. It's not always logical. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. If you're waiting for everything to get just right and for everything to be ideal and comfortable, I, I don't know what book you're reading. 
Be wise. Be careful. But be obedient. Here's the issue, and this has always been the issue. Believers always show their spiritual hand in hard moments. That's the issue. We always show our spiritual hand in hard moments. We always do. Every single time. What you really believe when your back is against the wall, when the circumstances are not ideal, convenient, or comfortable, what you do, how you respond to the truth of God's word tells the truth about what you really think of God and the position that his word holds in your life every single time. Every single time. Now, if we're going to glorify God and stay upright and win in battle, we have to get what's being dispensed to us here in Colossians chapter 2. We left off last week looking at the fact that we as believers in Christ are completely regenerated in Him. The sins of the flesh, the old man, were buried with Him. So in Christ, what we've seen to date, in Christ, the believer is completely filled the believer is completely accepted, and the believer is completely regenerated. But with God, there's always more. So we continue in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 2. Bury with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So, in Christ... Where you have a baptism, you have a resurrection. This is what we're seeing. Like Jesus, the believer in Christ has died, has been buried, and has risen again in Christ. Praise the Lord. Wherein also ye are risen with him. Now here we come to a very critical point. We're going to have a few of these today. The spiritual death... Baptism and resurrection of the believer is based on the working of God. It is based on the working of God. Look at the verse again. Through the faith of the operation of God. It's not based on your operation. It's based on God's. This is the key. And that was contrary to the heretical teachings of the Gnostics. Now, some will counter, and some have, and they will, and they'll continue to do so, okay? But they'll counter with, well, isn't it works to put faith in the operation of God? In other words, doesn't it take work to believe? It would, except, here's another critical point. When it comes to salvation, faith becomes works when we trust in our works, which overrules the work of God. That's that's when faith becomes works. Is when you're placing your faith in the work that you're doing. Does that make sense? Which overrules the work of God. Now, we have to reconcile the implications. We have to reconcile the implications of what it means to be risen with Christ. Now, I need you to hear me very carefully. The reason that this reconciling is so critical is because the victorious Christian walk depends on it. 
If you're going to walk victoriously in Jesus Christ until the rapture, you have to do the math on what it means to be risen with him. If you don't, you'll never walk victoriously. And that math starts in Ephesians 1.19. Or it continues, it starts for us in Colossians 2.12, but it continues beginning in Ephesians 1.19. Listen, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Here we go. Got to get it. Power is clearly associated with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly. Power is clearly associated with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly. Now, if that is true regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you suppose it says about your resurrection? It has to say the same thing. Power is also associated with our being risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. You being risen with him is true because of the power of God. So here's this fourth truth for counterpunching. I am completely empowered in Christ. I am completely empowered. In our study of the Gospel of Mark, we saw that when Jesus sent out his apostles, he gave them something. And he gave them something that was vital to their success and the work that he was sending them to do. Now, heads up, the very thing that he gave them, he has given to you. The very thing that he gave them, you have in you right now as a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at Mark 6, 7 in your notes. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. The issue wasn't, uh, are they going to face unclean spirits? Oh, no, no, no. They were and they did. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they had been given power over them. That was the issue. Listen, whatever satanic resistance the believer encounters, they have already been given power over it. We can talk all day long about, well, what about this, and what if that happens, or what if they bring this against us, or we can go on and on all day. At the end of the day, (laughs) whatever or whoever is coming against us, we have been given power over them or over that. Because we are completely empowered in Christ. You go proof 
please, if I haven't given you enough already, look at Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, power, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was performed by the operation of God through the power of the Spirit of God. And according to Romans 8.11, where does that Spirit dwell right now? In you. In me. That's where it dwells. It is more powerful than any stronghold or any resistance that you will ever face. And it's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even a contest. You have been given power. I have been given power. Consider 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of, say it with me, power. Power. 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, this is critical beyond belief. Listen, I, I'm not the wisest or the sharpest or the brightest, but the, the, the simple truths and principles of God's word never get old with me, and they continue to astound me and blow me away. Listen, at salvation, the believer was delivered from the power of darkness and empowered to overcome darkness. At salvation, you were delivered from darkness, and you were empowered to overcome darkness. Darkness was not going to leave you alone at salvation. It hasn't, hasn't it? Doesn't it still haunt you, pursue you, attack you, tempt you? So, But you have been delivered from it, and you have been given power over it. We saw this in Colossians 1.13. <laughs> Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. God is light, and in Him is no what? Darkness at all. 1 John 1.5. None. So, if we're walking in darkness as believers which we have been delivered from, and darkness is not of God, then that can only mean one thing. Darkness, for the believer, is their choosing. God says, hey, I've delivered you from it. God says, I've given you power over it. God says, there's no darkness in me at all. So if you're walking, living in darkness, process of elimination. That can't be of God. Now, we come to what I believe to be probably the most important moment in this entire series. I think where we're going now, I think everything hangs on this. Everything that we've said up to this point and all that we'll say after it, which we'll finish next week with these seven truths. You're like, I didn't know that there was an end. There is an end. It's next week. <laughs> Hang with me. 
This is not a long epistle, but man, is it concentrated. Very potent. But I am meditating on these things. They're simple. They're biblical. They're powerful. But I remember having a, a, a talk with the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, I, I see it, I get it. And Lord, it's, it just seems like it's so simple. But Lord, why are so many struggling? Why are so many depressed? Why are so many defeated? Why are so many discouraged? Why are so many lacking joy? Why are so many still struggling with things they've been struggling with for 20, 30 years? God, what? Am I not? Is it something I'm not teaching? Something I'm not saying? God, is, I mean, what, what? Lord, what is it? As you've learned in your own life, God is always faithful to meet us and respond to us in those moments. And, and God did respond. And I heard God's voice as clearly as I've ever heard it in my life. Because he answered that prayer. And he answered that prayer by giving me four English words. I heard the voice of God. He gave me four English words. These four English words will make you free. They will put you over the top. They will obliterate any and all bondage in your life. They will infuse continual and unimaginable joy and peace. You ready? Here's what God said to me. And he said it to you. Four words. Quench not the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. That was the answer. Quench not the spirit. That was the answer. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That is true. You do not have a spirit of fear. You do have a spirit of power. And... Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All of that is true. It is very true. However, as true as that is, this is also as true. You have the ability to extinguish, quench his power in you. That's the issue. You have the ability to extinguish, to quench that power. Yes. Rendering it non-effective. That's the issue. And here's how it plays out. Here's how it plays out in your life and in my life, day in and day out. Here we go. So... You've been watching TV for several hours. Several. The Holy Spirit prompts you. You get this sense that, you know what? That's probably enough. It would be needful for you to get up and go on a walk 
where you can think on the things of the Word of God and pray. And you know what you do? You quench that by continuing to watch TV for several more hours, don't you? You're watching a movie that has strong sensual or sexual content. That if you're honest as a man provokes you to want to watch more of that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit prompts you to stop watching that. Change the channel. Turn it off. You know what you do? You quench that by saying, but you know what? Man, the acting in this movie is phenomenal. And guess what? It's only a few bad scenes anyway. Brothers, King David saw one image from the roof and it was enough for him to drive over a cliff spiritually. The Holy Spirit prompts you to go to bed early so that you can rise early and sit at the feet of Christ and hear His word and worship and pray. And you know what you do? You quench that, don't you? By saying, yeah, you know what, that, that, that would be a good idea, but you know what, I, I've got so much work to do, and, and I've got this, and I've got that, so, so man, I, I, I've got 50 emails I've got to respond to, and, and, and I've got errands, I, I, and, and the kids are down, and so that, that's going to, and, and, and I've got this home project, and so, uh, and so I, I'm going to work till 12 or 1 in the morning. And then this is what we do. I'm just not a morning person. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you quenching the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit prompts you to eat better and exercise regularly. You know what you do? I'll start that in January. This is it. Any of that sound familiar? This is the issue. This, is, this was the answer. It is the answer. But in this victim society of ours, what we subtly do is we lie on God and whine about how hard it is, and no matter what we do and what we try, we can't get off the mat, and we can't get over this, and we can't stop doing that, and we can't stop struggling with this, when at the end of the day, Day in and day out, we operate like fire extinguishers to the guiding, leading, and prompting of the Holy Spirit of God. And we do it daily. And blame God for our failures. Listen, you and I would be absolutely stunned. Stunned. To learn what we could do or what we could stop doing if we would simply stop quenching the spirit of truth. You would be stunned. What you could do or what you could stop doing if you stopped quenching the spirit of truth. Amen. Now, we're going to take a closer look at parenting in Colossians chapter 3, as that's part of what we'll be looking at. But most parents that I have spoken to over the years all seem to be in agreement on their desire for their children to obey the first time, every time, with a happy heart. 
I'm getting mm-hmm's, which means, let me translate that. So Sydney's with us this morning. She's a high school student. Let me translate mm-hmm for you. That means amen. That means I agree. I told her, making me feel old with you being, we all feel old with you being here. You're, what, a freshman? I'm a sophomore. Sophomore, okay. Well, that's still, we still feel old. Glad you're here, though. That was certainly a focus of ours, and our kids were a lot younger, and we were in the thick of training. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth three times. Why is that important? Well, the movement and workings of the Holy Spirit, listen, are exclusively based on the truth of God's Word, not your feelings. Your feelings are not the Holy Spirit of God. We have to understand that. Now, here we go. I want to give you some homework for the heart. Okay, Listen, if you, if you want to turn this ship around, and you want to do the math and, and reconcile your empowerment, what I'm about to give you will absolutely flip it upside down. You ready? Like, just, just make a point this week. Make a point this week. To obey the spirit of truth the first time, every time with a happy heart. How about that? How many times have you found yourself dealing with God where God is saying, okay, the same truths you're giving and teaching your children, I'm holding you accountable to as well. If you would just do the things that you're calling them to do, oh my goodness. As much as you want your kids, as much as I want my kids to obey the first time, every time with a happy heart, God says, yeah, I desire that too with you. When the Holy Spirit prompts you this week, and he will, to obey God's word, just, just guess what? Just do it without debate or delay. The Holy Spirit is always moving. The first mention of scripture tells us that, and he's always moving based on the truth of God's word. So he's always reminding you, always bringing into your remembrance the truth of the word of God when he does. Obey. I am embarrassed to tell you that some of the things the Holy Spirit has to move in me to do. That I, I can struggle with. I mean. I can get irritated about something at home. I mean really irritated about it. And the Holy Spirit will just. Grace. Mercy. Long suffering. That's the way. And I'm wrestling with that. I mean, how many times have I said, I know I've told them, I know I've made it clear. Who put this here? What? Who left these dishes in the sink? I know I've made it clear. Why aren't these leaves raked? Violated here. He didn't listen to me. Have mercy. 
sacrifice. Die to self. In those moments, I'm either going to yield to that or I'm going to quench the spirit. We're on to a different point. I know you're like, yeah, that slide's gone. You get the point. It was really handy. I could just point. There we go. That's the battle, guys. Hebrews 3, 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. It is very important that we understand, whenever God speaks, and we choose to disobey his voice, it is, in God's mind, it is an act of defiant disobedience that tempts him to provocation. You are tempting God. You are provoking Him to respond to you in a very firm, chastising way. For some, the homework this week begins with them confessing to God that God quenching your spirit has become a way of life for me. Whenever I'm confronted with something I don't like or agree with, I don't want to do or don't find comfortable, you know what, God, you know what I do? I just take the fire extinguisher out and I just go, Whoosh. Not doing that. From there, we all need to ask God to sharpen our sensitivity to the movement of the Holy Spirit to help us to override our feelings our opinions, so that, to the glory of God, we can obey the first time, every time, with a happy heart. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Seal it to our hearts. May it not return void in Jesus' name. Amen.